30 degrees and raining outside our KTDR studios, six minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock time for our Phelps Health Program. And uh, we have the lovely Paige Heisman. Well, I'm glad that you feel like I'm lovely, Lee. Well, Is that my Valentine's gift from you? On. I like your hair. <laughs> You're a very pretty girl. You, oh, you should, thank you. Thank you. you. I appreciate you it. In that. That's why I girl. keep showing up, because you keep complimenting me. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if I talked to Dan, you probably wouldn't come in again. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, so anyway, but, okay, uh, well, let's... we're not here to talk about how pretty I am today. Today, we have Dr. Tim Martin, a cardiologist at Phelps Health, on our program. So, welcome back. It's been a while since we've had you on our show. Yeah, it's been a long time, actually. Yeah, yeah. we're really excited to have you back. Um, you're one of our personal favorites to have, so let's just maybe start off. A lot of people in this area already know who you are, but just give us the the um, basic gist of what brought you to Phelps Health, what you do at Phelps Health. Uh, I've been here about uh, 22 years, I think. Uh, started here with Washington University School of Medicine, running a clinic for them. Uh, my dad and I um, mm -hmm. took over the clinic, interestingly, from Dr. Kurt Morrison, who originally left and then came back. But well, we made it a WashU clinic, and then uh, probably about seven years ago, I'm losing track of time these days, um, We, um, the WashU decided they didn't want to run a clinic down here any longer, so Phelps offered me a position, and I took over the Division of Cardiology and have been uh, in Proving that since that point in time. Yeah, 22 years. 22 just years. just a few years, right? <laughs> Dad retired a couple of years ago. Ready? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh, time flies, you know, when uh, when things happen. Yeah, I've had him on the show a few times. Yeah, one of my favorite people, and yeah. you are too. But uh, <laughs> that's another dad. He's one of my favorite people as well. Guilty by association, so, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today we're kind of talking about all things heart, um, heart related. Let's just start off asking about how does a normal heart function? What does that look like? Normal heart function. Well, obviously everybody, I think, mm -hmm. would agree that they, the basic function is to pump blood. We need to do that because we need to get oxygen to all the cells in our body and remove the byproduct, which is carbon dioxide. In order to do that, we have to use a pump. So it's a hollow muscle, in essence. And that hollow muscle sits in the middle of the chest and um, it uh, receives blood and then pumps it back out. Interestingly, however, if you look at it in more detail, the pump is actually two pumps combined to one. You have a right heart pump and you have a left heart pump. That's important because the right heart pump receives blood returning back to the heart with full of the carbon dioxide being removed from the tissue. It then goes to the lungs where it's pumped to the lungs where it um, actually removes the CO2, gets the oxygen, and then it drains back to the left side of the heart where it is pumped out to the tissue again, supplying the oxygen. We can measure that function rather easily with blood pressure cuffs and feeling your pulse. Because there are two pumps and they're related, if we know the function of one side, we can generalize the function on the other, which makes it a great thing for us to do in, in, mm -hmm. in medicine. Uh, or looking at cardiac output, which is the amount of blood you pump out. If we know it on the right side, we automatically know it on the left. Whenever you talk about heart function, let's uh, talk about maybe when hearts don't function how they should. So specifically heart failure. What is heart failure? What does that look like? What are some of those warning signs? Right, congestive heart failure or heart failure in general. Uh, it can be divided into uh, two different parameters. One, the ability, inability to squeeze blood out and and supply enough blood to the tissue. The other is a relaxation phase where 
the blood can't get into the heart effectively. Both of them reduce the amount of blood going to the body, and that becomes important for the definition, which is inability of the heart to supply the needs of the body. Now, the majority of heart failure tends to be the relaxation phase of the heart, where it just stiffens up and the, the volume is reduced. Mm -hmm. When you reduce volume, the heart has to make up that volume or the amount going out by increasing the heart rate, which further worsens the, the relaxation phase of the heart. So what are some of those signs and symptoms? When the heart can't supply the needs of the body, we talk about weakness, fatigue, mm -hmm. followed by shortness of breath. As the heart failure progresses, chest pain can occur in, in some individuals, depending on the type, and um, then that can lead to swelling in the body, shortness of breath with exertion, swelling in the body, waking up at night, shorter breath, or shorter breath when you lie down. These are just progression of symptoms and tail both mm -hmm. phases of the heart. You mentioned fatigue, which I think is really interesting because I think all of us here can say that we've been tired at one point or another, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever we talk about fatigue, what do you mean? So, you know, we all have our day-to-day -day activities. Mm -hmm. We, you know, in the country, we go out and get wood for the fires. We, mm -hmm. you know, take the trash up to the, the corner, which isn't really a corner for a lot of people. <laughs> it's <laughs> down the road and up the uh -huh. hill. Uh, you know, doing simple activities. This is this will change. They'll people will notice a inability to complete these tasks as effectively, and it progresses to a point where they have to stop and rest. Mm -hmm. Now, like most people, we attribute that to a lot of other things other than the heart. Well, I'm getting older. Oh, I put on a little more weight. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I haven't been to the gym in a while, you know, oh, I have a cold. Oh, and there's just a, you know, a litany of, of things that people will attribute to. However, things don't get better and mm -hmm. they continue to worse. So one of the questions I like to ask my patients is, um, what could you do a year ago that you can't do now? You know, let's put it into perspective mm -hmm. and let's find out what's going on. Now, deconditioning is a major problem a lot of people, we get used to sitting behind a desk, we get used to just sitting in the car, just going mm -hmm. in and coming back, we don't really exercise our body. But this is different because they they just can't seem to push themselves to that point. Mm -hmm. And so they come up with other reasons for it. Yeah, natural. Uh, what did you say, taking your trash out? <laughs> yeah, taking your trash out. Uh-huh. Why does it take 20 minutes longer, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So who develops heart failure and why? Is it, are women more prone to it, men? What does that look like? The distribution isn't sex-driven, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. Um, the, um, the type of heart failure actually becomes very important in de describing who gets and who doesn't. If mm -hmm. we talk about <clears throat> the squeezing function of the mm -hmm. heart and its inability to squeeze and eject blood, an important concept we'll get back to in a moment. Those individuals can be associated with the development of coronary artery disease, blocked arteries, blocking the blood supply to the heart muscle, the heart muscle stops functioning, and it causes the problems. Mm -hmm. In the relaxation phase, which is the most common form of heart failure, it can be related to high blood pressure, diabetes, it can be related to the development of early cancers that we're now finding out, um, uh, lymphomas. Mm -hmm. And um, both of them lead to the, they're not sex-oriented, they lead to the same 
complication and same symptoms. There's something you mentioned that I want to get back to, um, ejecting blood. Let's chat a little bit more about this. What does that look like? So ejection of blood. We have, a, we have to, we have to um, standardize heart function. So we've come up with a, 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 a mechanism by which we can standardize it to anybody in this room and anybody in the world and any mammal for that matter uh, because our hearts as a mammal all work the same way. Mm -hmm. Four chambers pumping blood to the lungs, pumping blood to the body and they're related. So the whale, the, the blue whale, which is the largest mammal, has a heart about the size of Volkswagen, maybe about the size of this room. And the smallest heart is a shrew, which is the size of a, a little thimble, maybe smaller than that. They all work the same. Mm -hmm. So for humans, we come in various sizes and, and shapes. Mm -hmm. Shaquille O'Neal, who I like to refer to, is you know, six foot, nine, seven foot uh, mm -hmm. gentleman, much taller than I am, I'm six foot. His, his heart is much larger than mine, yet my heart is larger than yours because mm -hmm. I'm taller and bigger than you are. Mm -hmm. But our hearts function the same way. So we go to how much blood ejects out of the heart. We call that the ejection fraction. Mm -hmm. It's a fraction because this pump that we're talking about is unique. It does not fill up with a certain amount of blood and eject the entire blood volume and then fill back up again, it ejects a fraction of the blood. So for example, if we were to measure the volume in the left side, mm -hmm. again, if we know what's going on, on one side, we know what's going on, on the other. If we measure the volume in one of the ventricles, and it's the lower chambers of the heart mm -hmm. that pump blood to either the lung, the right ventricle, or the body, the left ventricle, we measure the volume at rest, and well, let's say we come up with a number. Let's make it easy for mathematics, 100 cc's. Obviously, we're talking, we're scientists, so we're mm -hmm. going to talk in scientific notation. And then we measure the blood volume again after the heart's finished contracting. If we take that initial volume, mm -hmm. 100, we subtract what's left, let's say 40, we know that 60 cc's have been ejected out of the body. Right? Mm -hmm. Simple math. 100 minus 40, whatever, not there, yeah. been, been lost. If we take that lost number or ejected number and divide it by the original, we have a fraction. So 60 over 100 is 6 tenths or 60%, which mm -hmm. is about normal. 50 to 60% is about normal, depending on the person. An athlete will have a low rejection fraction because their body's more attuned to extracting mm -hmm. oxygen and removing CO2. But the average about 60%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you answered my question. I wrote down what's not normal and what is normal right. like for athletes because so, I know that's different. Exactly. Yep. So 60% is an important number. Mm -hmm. So I, it doesn't matter if I'm talking about the blue whale, mm -hmm. which has huge volumes. Or the shrew. Or the shrew, mm -hmm. still 60%. So it standardizes it for everybody. And it turns out to be an important number when we look at function of the heart, specifically in the contracting portion of heart failure. As an ejection fraction, again, mm -hmm. falls, we get in, we start seeing more and more development of bad pathology and ultimately sudden cardiac death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, what are some of those first steps to getting diagnosed with heart failure? So some of the things that you're talking about whenever you notice that they're not meeting that 60%, uh, that fraction that we've talked about. 
So uh, the first step is obviously see your primary care physician. Mm -hmm. uh, discuss your symptoms with them. Uh, they can assess you for other causes. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, if you continue to have symptoms of shortness of breath and you're waking up at night gasping for air or you can't lay down because every time you lie down you're short of breath, you're swelling, mm -hmm. you're having just can't walk 10, 20 yards because you're short of breath, these are the worst signs and symptoms. They'll most likely be referred to a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, you may end up getting a, a, a study called an echocardiogram, a ultrasound, high frequency mm -hmm. ultrasound, sonar. Everybody's familiar with that if, you have, if you've had a baby these days or your, your children or grandchildren or have mm -hmm. babies, first thing they do is they do ultrasounds of the baby and it's a sonar picture of the uh, inside the body. We can actually do that for the heart, and we can we can time it and make a cine so we can actually look at heart function at rest and and um, following um, contraction, and we can estimate left mm -hmm. ventricular function and uh, the ejection fraction. We get all these numbers. We don't need the exact values. Mm -hmm. They become important, but we don't need them to estimate function. So you mentioned an echocardiogram. What are some of the other common tests that you utilize? Well, depending on your symptoms, chest pain may ultimately get a stress test, mm -hmm. uh, walking on a treadmill, or if you have trouble uh, walking, then a chemical stress, uh, blood test to assess your kidney function and, uh, and um, uh, liver function, thyroid function. What are some of the things that we can do at home if we start recognizing um, I'm unusually fatigued, I feel more stressed than normal, my heart feels tight, whatever that looks like. Should people be keeping a log of that or whenever those symptoms happen, should they just immediately call their PCP, set up an appointment? I think that, you know, all those are great suggestions. Mm -hmm. The uh, first thing, obviously, people want to know what's going on. I mm -hmm. always recommend go through your primary care, yep. talk with that individual, let them know what's going on they can assess all these routine rule out mm -hmm. issues that may arise. And if you're continuing to have problems, then refer you for the tests that we've talked about. Yep. Now, some primaries like to do all the tests before sending to cardiologists, which is fantastic. Others mm -hmm. will just say, let's just get you to see cardiology. I think mm -hmm. something's going on. At which point, I will see them or one of my colleagues and do history and physical, get the understanding, ask the pertinent questions. Is there a time of day when it's more likely to have, you're more likely to have a heart attack? You mentioned relaxation. Would that be in the morning? Well, heart attacks, um, no, the relaxation is the, the the resting part of the heart cycle. So mm -hmm. if you think about that, and that's a good question, by the way, mm -hmm. if you think about it, uh, the heart beats mm -hmm. and then it relaxes. If we were to do the timing mechanism in, in on an EKG or just sitting in the room, mm -hmm. the contracting phase heart squeezing down and ejecting blood is about one-third of the cardiac cycle. The relaxation phase is two-thirds. Mm -hmm. And it's in that relaxation phase as the heart goes back to its normal shape, mm -hmm. which we call compliance. <clears throat> that compliance allows it to bounce back to its normal shape and receive the blood coming in from the upper chambers. That phase sometimes gets delayed. And so the relaxation phase takes longer for it to get to its normal shape. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to a the normal volume where it can ex of 100 cc's, it only gets to 80 cc's. It only mm -hmm. holds 80 cc's before the next cardiac cycle starts again. Mm -hmm. So there's a 20 cc drop. But if you look at the function of the heart and as it squeezes, the squeezing function is still normal. Okay. 
It's just delayed relaxation. And the echocardiogram allows us to look at that non-invasively, which means I don't have to put a catheter or a needle inside. I can just mm-hmm. push on your chest a little bit and watch and do some uh, measurements where we can determine this relaxation or what we call diastolic filling phase. Mm-hmm. The diastolic filling phase is really important uh, because it's the energy requiring part of the heart. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we all need energy. We have to mm-hmm. eat, right? We go in the morning, we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that food is metabolized to sugar. Sugar is then metabolized mm-hmm. by the body cells to energy, mm-hmm. and that energy is utilized to think and move and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So there's an energy or an electric, the, the energy of the heart is the generation of an electrical impulse. The impulse then tells the muscle to contract. And we do that automatically. The energy that uh, is required to um, cause the the EQRS, what mm-hmm. we see the EKG to start, or con- cause the contraction, is actually set up during the diastole phase or the relaxation phase. And that's where the oxygen is required. That's where the energy is being utilized. So it's that part of the EKG, mm-hmm. not the big spike, but that following where we see, getting to your other question, the acute myocardial infarction. We see changes in the relaxation mm-hmm. phase of the heart, mm. which is the two-thirds of the heart cycle, which is the diast- electrical diastole of the EKG. We're all using the same terms. Mm-hmm. I'm using the same terms, but trying to put it all together. And we see changes on the electrocardiogram during that phase. No, now, mm-hmm. as far as heart attacks are concerned, yes, there is a there is a diurnal pattern to it and usually occurring late at night, sleeping, when our hormones are changing and cortisol levels are changing. We mm-hmm. don't understand why, but there's a higher preponderance of heart attacks late at night, early in the morning. Wow, okay, so what's really interesting, whenever Dr. Martin was talking about this, I looked at my smartwatch because my smartwatch uh, monitors my heart rate throughout the day and it kind of is interesting to me because I can tell whenever mine spikes, whenever I'm in like uh, high stress meetings or high stress situations. I went to a funeral on Saturday and I could tell that Saturday because it gives you like a seven day time period. Saturday, apparently I was super, super stressed and I didn't even realize it, or at least I was in mm-hmm. a situation that, that caused my heart to feel like that. So I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And you understand heart rates mm-hmm. are going to vary yep. considerably depending on your needs. Mm-hmm. Emotional state. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Today I'm you great. Know, Stress. <laughs> well, he's telling you how, how beautiful I know, you are. right? Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's doing his part. Yeah. So, yeah, I do what I can. I know, right? He's taking one for the team here. That's good. So, uh, but the heart rate's going to vary. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I get a lot of patients coming in wanting to talk about, oh, I have the smart ones. Uh-huh. And I just, like, yeah, let's great. talk about that. I'm like, great. Uh-huh. <laughs> because they're not that accurate. Yeah. Uh, but they give you a heart rate, mm-hmm. and they're, and people start looking at it more and more, and then they get more nervous because their heart rate's at 90, <laughs> now it's 110, now it's 120. So they, they, they actually self-perpetuate uh, this, mm-hmm. tech, this rapid heart rate tachycardia. Mm-hmm. So I have to tell them, first of all, stop looking at your watch. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're not symptomatic, it's not a yeah. problem, right? We go with symptoms. Mm-hmm. We don't go with numbers. Numbers are great when we're trying to adjust trying to figure out what's going yeah. on with However. The symptoms. Mm-hmm. So the heart rate's going to vary in a normal individual. Mm-hmm. You're a young woman, so your mm-hmm. heart rate should go above 130 beats a minute about 130 times a day. Mm-hmm. And that's a normal function, and nobody feels that. Now, if you're going to constantly look at your watch, 
you're going to start feeling it because now you're going to start, oh my God, there's something wrong with my heart. Uh-huh. When actually, actually that's normal physiology and that's good. Mm-hmm. So when you're resting, your heart rate's down in the 40s or 50s. Again, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's uh, it's your symptoms that are important getting back to uh, you know your questions about. So it could be said that the start the heart kind of re-energizes itself during the night, during the relaxation periods. It kind of goes through that cycle and starts all over again. Is that the right? uh, the uh, I, I don't understand quite your I don't under, quite understand your question. However, and if I can rephrase it, the rest period of your uh, mm-hmm. at night is, when you're sleeping when you're sleeping is good for your body in general. Mm-hmm. Everything re resets itself, specifically your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, we need that sleep pattern. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to get into that REM sleep. We need to regenerate. Um, and uh, when we're not metabolizing, we're not walking, we're not needing mm-hmm. energy, we're not needing higher oxygen content to all our cells, the heart slows down. Mm-hmm. It slows down normally. Now, there are patterns of sleep that cause problems. Obviously, snoring is a mm-hmm. big issue, obstructive sleep apnea. All right. Yeah. We're talking about, and I think that's where you were leading to. Yep. Yeah, is, uh, and that was a good point, is that uh, obstruction of your airway and mm-hmm. low oxygen can actually cause your heart rate to slow down and even stop mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. And we see that as a pattern on certain tests that we order, like a Holter monitor mm-hmm. and a vent recorder, where you're constantly wearing an electrocardiogram overnight for several days or nights or week or month. And what we'll see is in these individuals with obstructive sleep apnea, they'll have a significant pause in their electrocardiogram. The heart will completely stop. And if anybody would like to watch the clock tick, five seconds is a long time without mm-hmm. having a heartbeat. And then the patient wakes themselves up and so forth. This leads, we now know, to other arrhythmias, most likely the most common one being an atrial arrhythmia mm-hmm. called atrial fibrillation. So. Mm-hmm. Getting into the other issues about heart function, <laughs> which is all good. No, look boxes. at what you opened up, Lee. Interesting discussions is, yeah. you know, is is looking at the patient again, mm-hmm. seeing your family provider, and them going over all these things, and eventually you may end up coming to a cardiologist, and you know. Cardiologists are unique individuals. We're mm-hmm. like carpenters with a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. So we think everything looks like a heart. You know, <laughs> what so a great analogy for, for yeah, your profession. Yeah, yeah. You know, so everything's a heart. Can we put that on your provider bio on the website? <laughs> so we think hard until, other, until proven yes, otherwise. Yes, yeah. So. We've got a couple of minutes left. I want to ask two more questions. Um, what are some treatment plans that you might suggest to a patient that comes in with cardiology issues? Well, that's a, <laughs> first of all, it's, um, you know, mm-hmm. continue to see your provider. Yeah. And they're an intimate and, uh, mm-hmm. integral part, part of your, of your care. Mm-hmm. For our care, if your care, you know, the care team, uh, you know, I respond to them as mm-hmm. a consultant. Uh, start medications. Taking the medications is obviously an important issue. Mm-hmm. I always tell patients, and I tell them at the end of every visit, we need, I need you to walk, exercise. Exercise is interesting. You can, you know, walking 30 minutes a day mm-hmm. is not unreasonable for people. If you ask them to walk an hour, an hour and a half, they're like, what's the matter with you? I don't, where am I getting an hour and a half in the mm-hmm. day? But if you ask them to walk 30 minutes, they can do it. And actually, that's the minimum amount that I really want people to do. Yep. Now, you don't have to walk all 30 minutes at the same time. You mm-hmm. can walk 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, or, you know, walk five minutes, six times. Yep. It's, it's a cumulative. Exercise is cumulative, so mm-hmm. you can continue to do it. My biggest thing that I get from people is, well, I, 
I work, so I'm walking all the time. And I'm like, well, that's work. I mm-hmm. want you to walk outside of work. Yeah. You know. Make it a habit. Make it a habit. Grab your girlfriend or boyfriend mm-hmm. or your partner. You know, if you don't have any of those, grab a dog. You know, <laughs> that's where my walk. mind went. <laughs> go for the, grab a dog. Just grab the dog and keep walking. Yeah. Uh, diet is an important mm-hmm. issue. Sleep patterns are an issue. These mm-hmm. things we need to decide, discern in the exam and, and uh, refer to either a sleep study. Some people have to wear a BiPAP, mm-hmm. get some more energy. Um, you know, just following the treatment plan that you set up with your physician. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Martin, thank you so much for being here today. You are always a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> we can't wait to have you back. <laughs> so today we've been speaking with Dr. Tim Martin, a cardiologist at Phelps Health. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org.